1: Andrew Lyman-Clark grew up with experimental filmmakers. At a very early age, he started making shorts and even persuaded a teacher to accept a film rather than a term paper. Over time, he worked as a gaffer, best boy, and grip to steal some time on set. In college, he made the feature Have You Seen, then entered the short Follow the Leader into a handful of festivals. Soon after, he decided to commit to the feature Night Nightmove. Based on an unusual true story from producer and friend Seth Panman, the film stars John Wesley Shipp and Allison Mackey. The description reads, a skateboarder investigating the mysterious death of his roommate is led into the inner workings of a self-help company and the pharmaceutical lab behind it. In this interview, the writer-director talks about his love for Requiem for a Dream, how to be observant as a storyteller why it's good to occasionally be obsessive as a creative and why he invested nine years into this debut film if you enjoyed this interview join millions of viewers for the new youtube series creative principles where we dissect films series and more as video essays so my father is a filmmaker
0: uh an experimental filmmaker my uncle is a filmmaker an experimental filmmaker as well and they both uh, were professors of film. They're both retired now. Um, so in my early life, I was really steeped in it. Um, I was in some of my dad's movies just all throughout growing up. And, um, my dad didn't really push me to be a filmmaker or anything, but, um, when I was about 10, uh, one of my friends actually, his dad gave him a video camera and immediately we just started making videos with it. um the first thing I ever made was like a little thriller like a chase movie through the woods with my friends um and we we continued making little movies with uh with our other friends and um I just got more and more interested in it and in high school, I actually made um some short films uh the first one was for a history class. I had a very encouraging teacher who let me make a film instead of doing a paper. And um, so I, d- I did that movie. It was an adaptation of a Jean Genet, a French existentialist play, which has nothing to do with American history. But um, my professor was just so encouraging that he was like, you go for it, do you. And uh, and then I would like the rest of the high school, because I, I just got the bug at that point. I would uh, make films during the summer that were of... I would, I would get all my friends together and, and even, you know, just acquaintances from high school, um, to act in these films. And I had my, my friend who, uh, this guy Graham forward, he was very, he is very creative. He would write the scripts and then I would actually execute the movies, you know, running around with the the video camera, shooting these actors that we had cast from our friends. And so I made like three movies that way. And then, you know, I went to college and I still wasn't sure if I wanted to commit to film. So I picked a school where I could study music, film and theater, Bard College. Um, But pretty soon after getting to Bard, it was clear that I wanted to do the art that combines all those things, which is film. And I declared my major as a film major and I made a bunch of films in college, culminating with uh, a feature length film as my senior project, which was called, have you seen? Um, and, uh, so that was like technically my first feature. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, you know, just moved to New York city after college, started freelancing in the film industry, videographer, editor, um, doing grip work, gaffing production assist I, I pretty much did all the jobs except for sound. And as I was doing that, I was developing my, um, my own work, um, Making, uh, I made some shorts. I made a short called Follow the Leader, which played festivals, and then, you know, was developing uh,
1: night sweats for a while, and and here we are. So when we think of you know shorts and indies, we're usually thinking of creativity because of the limited budget. What were some of those maybe lessons you learned uh, on your even your parent, your dad, or your uncle's experimental films that kind of stuck with you?
0: Well, as far as working with a limited budget. I think that what I learned from my, my dad and my uncle is um, use people who are in your circle to help you with your films. Um, You know, my dad, he actually filmed that, that Jean Genet uh, adaptation, Death Watch. He was the cameraman and, you know, and I, and I used my friends in it and, you know, it may sound like a no brainer, but, I don't know. I think maybe I kind of, uh, absorbed that from them because my dad's films are all about his family and about himself. And he just uses us as his cast. So, um, you know, it's same thing with my uncle. So it's like, you know, use what you have available to you because that's good stuff. You know, those people are like as interesting as, as pretty much anybody else. And, um, that's a really solid foundation to start with your community and those who, you know, you trust and who trust you. Um,
1: So. Do you have any advice for kind of picking apart those interesting moments? Um, I know some people are, are just so enamored with what they do every day. They assume it's not interesting, even though it's very unique to someone completely outside of that world, which is kind of why reality TV is so popular now. Is there anything that you see that kind of helps you, know what to write about or what to make films about.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely try to always be observing what's going on around me. Um, When I see something really interesting happening, you know, around me just on as a, as a person, as a human being, I try to go to it. I try to um, investigate it and watch, you know, and take it all in and i don't think that everybody's like that i think that uh sometimes when things happen that are outside of your comfort zone or outside of the norm in your life you know the tendency is to kind of look away or go the other way um but you know and i i feel that too but i sort of ch- challenge myself and i force myself to engage with those uncomfortable moments and those situations that are out of the norm, because I know it's great material and I know it's going to make its way into my dreams and it's going to become a part of me and make me a fuller human and a better creator. Um, so I would say, you know, just watch, watch everything, take it all in. And I remember in one, um, book about directing that I read, it said, watch things to the point where you get in trouble. For watching so much <laughs> you know be a voyeur like people are going to be like what are you looking at you know or whatever and then you're like oh okay maybe I went a little too far <laughs> you know
1: well tell me so I know this is based on true events it's definitely like a lot of uh, kind of wild stories you put together where did this idea come from and what kind of inspired you to to create Night Sweats
0: yeah so um when One of the producers on the film, Seth Panman, moved to New York City. Um, One of his first jobs in New York was he worked for this weird self-help company, which I can't tell you the name of, but um, it's the company that True Healing in the film is based on. Um, And so he was out filming these testimonials of people who had experienced real trauma in their lives. And the videos were then supposed to go into this library so that other people could then watch and, like, benefit from seeing other people, how they worked through and dealt with their traumas. Um, the company was very sketchy, and the boss would, like, physically and emotionally abuse him and yell at him. And um, and eventually, the company just kind of packed up in the middle of the night and left and, and ripped him off. You know, so they still owe him a bunch of money. Um, So that was kind of a big inspiration for this. And what happened subsequently to that a few months later was somebody that he had met doing a testimonial with them contacted him and they had a meeting and the person suggested or asked Seth if he would film them spreading a deadly disease in New York City. And I can't tell you much more because it kind of gives the movie away. But Seth declined this project, this weird, you know, morally bankrupt documentary project. But he told me about it because Seth and I had been working together on film projects for a while at that point. And we said, you know, this would make a really good feature um, if we just took, you know, that that premise of the sketchy self-help company and the person from the self-help company who's got this dark agenda to spread a deadly disease. Um, And so it kind of grew out of that. And um, it was also enriched by a a number of um, real-life instances of uh, corruption in the pharmaceutical industry, which I was also uh, interested in. So those those were the true events that uh, Night Sweat's was based on
1: was there there any hesitation i mean i know you're understand understandably you're reluctant you can't obviously mention real names but was there any hesitation in making even the fictional world of this with with some of the risks that may be involved
0: yes uh you know seth especially is very uh he, he really wants to make sure that we don't mention any of the real names involved but um He's a pretty brave guy. He was a pro snowboarder uh, for like ten years until he had a career-ending accident. And he brings a real uh, adrenaline junkie mentality to filmmaking. So, and I think I, I share that to a certain extent. So we both kind of challenge each other. And, and this was an instance of us being kind of like, "What if we do this? Like, that would be crazy. That would be that would be cool." And uh, we. Both have the same sensibility, which is trying to make thrillers that are, that feel very real. And, um, you know, so it was kind of inevitable that we, uh, actually use something from, from real life, uh, you know, to inspire the movie.
1: Was there any references you used, uh, film or otherwise that kind of helped you shape like the look and the feel or the tone of the movie?
0: Yeah. Um, the one that comes to mind uh, first off is uh, requiem for a dream. I really like that movie a lot. I've seen it a bunch of times and uh, I wanted to do the snory shots, which is when the um, camera is actually mounted on the actor and looking back at their face. And so whenever the actor kind of moves their face stays in the same position, you know, that was kind of inspired by requiem. Um, you know, I, I did watch a bunch of erotic thrillers actually, um, in preparation for this movie. Um, and I think that, you know, movies like body double, um, fatal attraction, the whole, uh, donkey punch. Um, I think those all kind of, uh, you know, went into it, but, uh, I try not to like, you know, be too derivative as far as like how I, you know, create, um, oh, I should say that I wanted the aesthetic to be, uh, somewhat doc style. And the the reason for that is again, to try to, um, try to make it feel really real. Like, so I wanted it to be a handheld camera and, uh, you, you know, like not a lot of like unmotivated camera moves because I wanted it to be like almost like a documentary. Um, and you know, that being said, I knew that I wanted to kind of give it narrative interest and, and, you know, highlight certain emotions that were happening, certain things that were happening. So it was kind of, um, I, I I did take from the Bourne movies, uh, because, uh that director, Paul Greengrass, I think is like a visionary genius. And his thing is he just makes it he makes narrative films that uh feel like a documentary. And I remember when I first saw uh The Bourne Identity, I was like, just it rocked me, you know, and I was like, that was so cool. Um and and Knights West definitely aspires to that. And and in future, I want to go deeper into that where the aesthetic is very it's this careful blend of like narrative with a documentary aesthetic so that um, it kind of hits people in a different way and they feel that it's real, um, but at the same time it's not boring (laughs) like some documentaries are.
1: Do you see that as something, I know you're listed as the writer-director, do you see something like that that should be on the page, like uh, for example, understandably to create a new emotion, Pixar is actually using a mechanism that mimics shaky cams because it, because it brings a certain feeling to the viewer. Do you see that as something purely in the eyes of the director or something that writers should start to implement on the page as well?
0: I guess my philosophy about the page is that, um, you know, it's the blueprint for the movie and uh, if the, writer feels if if the writer sees it in their mind that way they should absolutely put it down on the page because otherwise you know it could just that could just be an idea that gets lost you know like they could think about it and then be like oh i better not put that in case the director wants to make another choice but um you might as well put it down and i'm not um A very rule following type of guy. So I don't think that when a writer is, you know, writing down their, their screenplay, they should be self editing and saying, Oh, I better not put that because that's not conventional or I I better not, uh, you know, step on the director's toes or whatever. I think just, you know, you're, you're creating in that moment and just put it all down and uh, whether you direct it or not, you know, the, the director can take that information, that vision, and process it and add to it. And, you know, hopefully there's a collaboration there. Um, so, yeah, that's my
1: philosophy. And you're kind of following this film all the way through. You're listed as the writer, the director, uh, helped with editing or, or helped with editing. Um do you kind of see that as the storyteller that you need to be there for the whole process? Because I know it changes a lot on the way through, like is, is doing everything the best way to make sure your story comes off, you know, as close to your vision as possible.
0: I don't really know another way to do it. Um, I think that the person who writes it obviously has something very particular in mind that they're going for. And, um, you know, I, I think that if they've never directed a film before, maybe they should pass it off to somebody who has. Um, but I think that filmmaking is an art form like other art forms where there's something that's trying to be communicated. And unlike other art forms, I guess, some of art forms, there's a lot of different steps that have to happen between the initial idea and it actually being a movie, um so I think that the best way to ensure that whatever was initially conceptualized it actually makes it into the movie is to have there be that one person who kinda is there at least sort of overseeing all the different phases because otherwise. the the message or the vision gets lost a lot of times. And I think we see that in um, a lot of Hollywood movies and movies where there's so many cooks in the kitchen and producers are, you know, producers are like editing the screenplay and putting their own little jokes in there and whatever. And it just, it comes out like this garbled, like mishmash that, you know, is barely even entertaining, you know, and let alone have some kind of message or or meaning that an audience member can walk away with.
1: So someone's listening and they're maybe a first-time writer, director, what did you find to be the most difficult part in the process or what advice do you wish you had before you kind of took on this this big ambitious goal?
0: I think the most difficult part of the process of making a film like this is uh, how much time it takes. Um, You know, for people who haven't done a movie, I compare it to having a child, which uh, I haven't done. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, but like, I've literally been working on this for nine years. (laughs) Like it's been the thing that I do in my free time for nine years. And I'm not saying I have zero life, but I'm just saying I've, uh, haven't put as much attention into my career as I could have. I haven't put as much attention into my relationships as I could have. Um, there's a lot of things that I could have done in my life over the last nine years if this if I hadn't been working on this movie. So it's a it's a sustained focus and a sustained energy and commitment that I think is similar to when you have a child, you know, how new parents like they they don't have any time. You know, they can't they can't so to movies, they can't, you know, hang out with you because they have this thing, this child that they have to care for and they have to work on, quote unquote, a lot. It just takes a lot of time. So I would say that's the hardest thing. <laughs> and there's no real I mean, I do want to get faster at it. And I think some some filmmakers probably are. But um, when you make your first one or two, it's it's going to take a really long time.
1: We're talking years, you know. Was there something maybe deeper than than this this one story that pushed you to get it made? Like for example, are you really, are you thinking about career longevity as a writer director? Is that something you're kinda of thinking while putting all this time into something?
0: When I make movies, I usually try to think in terms of like just this movie and and, and what it's gonna accomplish. Um it's hard for me to think in terms of like a whole career arc although I try to make movies that are um I try to make movies that I would want to see because I think that that's kind of the most honest way to create a career if you make one movie that is something that you would want to see and you know you can kind of ideally carve out a niche for yourself as a filmmaker that makes movies that are like ones that you would want to see. And that's, I guess, the safest bet because, um, you know, it, it can be hard to make stuff that um, isn't something that you're interested in. It just takes so much more. Uh, it, it's it's hard to stay focused on. It's hard to stay enthusiastic about projects uh, that you're not, like, passionate about because you wouldn't be interested in it. Um, so I've kind of tried to stick to like the thriller genre and, and kind of evolved to figuring out like what it is that I really like, you know, I made a horror short. Um, and it was cool. was follow the leader, but it, um, it sort of taught me like, I'm not a horror guy and I don't, I don't go to see that many horror movies. I like good horror movies, but I'm not a horror buff. Like some people, I don't voraciously consume it and, I find my imagination doesn't go to those super dark or gory places. So it's kind of a, a a process of feeling out, trying some different things and being like, Oh yeah, that was cool. But I think actually this is more what I'm into. And, um, yeah. And, and, you know, the career piece will come, you know, once you get good enough at that thing that you're, that you're really into and you've kind of made that name for yourself. Um, so,
1: yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the show. If this is your first time listening, please log on to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a rating. Providing a rating or sharing content is one of the best ways to help the series grow. Make sure to also follow or like us on your favorite platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or the new YouTube series we've started and check for daily updates over at creativeprinciples.live.